Well, good morning again, everybody. I am really excited to be able to continue our series this morning on uh, what it looks like for us to be able to bounce back from difficult times like this. And when we talk about the ability to bounce back from trauma or difficulty or anxiety, the word that we tend to use for that is resilience. And so for the past couple of weeks, I've been here talking to you about what it, what it might look like to cultivate a spirituality of resilience, the kinds of practices that we engage with as Christians that make us really deep spiritually, really wise and really flexible and adaptable to changing and challenging times like this. So today, what I wanna do is continue in that series and last week we talked about relationships and how important uh, being a part of a kind of uh, tight fabric of social relationships is in our lives and how that can actually make us stronger and physically and emotionally and mentally healthier in every way. Today what I want to do is unpack a little bit more of Jesus's teachings, specifically the very last thing that he said to his disciples on earth before he ascended into heaven. I want to look at those words and focus very tightly on one aspect of his great commission, and then explore the kinds of relationships that we need to be intentional about in order to become more resilient uh, and spiritually deep and strong individuals. Before I do that, I just wanna invite you with me, wherever you are, to join with me in a word of prayer together before we open up this passage and read it together. Would you join with me? Dear God, we thank you for today and this opportunity for us to worship together, no matter where we are, to, uh, to come across the divide of, of uh, digital uh, media like, like Facebook or YouTube, uh, to be able to somehow join together in unity, even though we are physically distant from each other and practicing uh, self-isolation uh, in this time of such a dangerous uh, and difficult pandemic. I pray, Lord, that wherever we are, whatever it is that each of us is doing right now, that we would be able to slow down, that we would be able to focus, that we would be able to turn our hearts towards you, that we would be able to give our minds to the passage that we're about to read, and that you would open up our hearts to become people who are genuinely deep with your wisdom and your spiritual strength. I pray that as we go through this period together, that we would learn to remain connected and that we would continue to dig deeper into our spirits to become people who are in union with you and strong and able to persevere through this time. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today what I'd really love to do is read to you from the book of Matthew. So if you have a Bible with you, turn with me to the end of Matthew, that's chapter 28, and, I, and all the way at the end of Matthew 28, I'm going to start it up in verse 18. It's a very familiar passage of Jesus's. This is the last thing that he said to his disciples uh, before he is depicted as ascending into heaven. And so this has become a really important passage in the history of the church. Sometimes we call it the Great Commission. And a lot about church history has really been shaped by this particular passage. Today, what I want to do is take maybe a little bit different look at this passage and really focus in on one particular phrase that Jesus uses. So turn with me to Matthew chapter 28. You'll see in verse 18, uh, it says this. I'm reading from the, the NIV, but whatever version of the Bible you have is fine. If it's a little bit different, that's okay. We're going to put the words up on the screen as well. Matthew 28 verse 18 says this. And then Jesus came to them and said, All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. 
Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded them. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now, like I said at the beginning, this is an incredibly important passage in the history of Christianity. So much of what has happened in Christianity has been uh, really based on this final command or this final commission. We often call it the Great Commission that Jesus gave to his disciples. And there's some disagreement about, you know, whether or not this Great Commission applied to the disciples or if it applies to all of us. At the Oceanside Sanctuary, we really believe that it's our commission to bring the love and the mercy and the grace and the justice and the peace of Christ to our entire world. Now, for us, that means ministering in our neighborhood and bringing those expressions of the gospel in our neighborhood and to Oceanside and in the North County area. So we take this passage very seriously. In fact, this is essentially baked into our mission as a church. Unfortunately, though, this passage has been really badly misused and has been used as a justification to abuse people in the past. And so I want to speak to that a little bit today and show how there's something in Jesus's words here that can help us to understand what it looks like to have a a better spirituality of resilience in our lives. There's a lot to unpack in this passage. I'm not going to unpack everything. In fact, we're going to revisit this passage a little bit next week, and I'm going to unpack it a little bit more. But for today, I want to invite you just to look with me at verse 19, and actually very specifically at one phrase in verse 19. Verse 19 says this, Jesus, having just said that he has all the authority in heaven and earth, says, Therefore, because he has all the authority, he says, go and make disciples of all nations. Now, that phrase, all nations, maybe you've heard this in church before, doesn't actually refer to like nations as in a nation state that we tend to think of today, like the United States or Germany or France uh, or, you know, uh, Mexico or Canada. Rather, all nations comes from the word ethnos, which is where we get the word ethnic. So what Jesus is really saying here is, whatever it is that I have given to you, I now want you to take this into all of the different ethnic groups in the world. So Jesus isn't charging his disciples necessarily to go across national boundaries. There wasn't necessarily such a thing as a a modern nation state at that time. Instead, what he's telling them is he's saying, The time has now come for you as followers of me to take this message about God, this good news about God, to every ethnic group in the world. And that is actually kind of an astonishing thing for an ancient uh, first century rabbi to say to his followers, because we have to remember that Jesus, of course, was a Jewish rabbi. Jesus's movement was part of Judaism. The message that Jesus spoke comes out of the Jewish scriptures, what we as Christians call the Old Testament. And Jesus' followers saw him as the Jewish Messiah. And so now for this Jewish Messiah to say to his Jewish followers, the time has come to take what I have shared with you about God and bring it to all the ethnic groups of the world is very unusual. It's counter to what it means in many respects to be a Jew, to be a person who's a part of the people of God. Because to be a Jew meant that you were ethnically 
Jewish. And Jesus is now saying there's something about this good news about God that extends beyond your ethnic boundaries, beyond just ties of blood, beyond even ties of family. It now must go out into all the different people of the world. This is rooted actually very firmly in an Old Testament prophetic passage from Isaiah. It's one of my favorite passages, and I want to invite you to turn there now. It's actually Isaiah chapter 2. Isaiah chapter 2 is this prophetic utterance that comes from the old Jewish prophet Isaiah. And in this prophecy, Isaiah is speaking about the world that God wants to bring about. So if you're there, go ahead and turn with me, Isaiah chapter 2, and I'm actually going to read that uh, portion of Isaiah chapter 2. It's verses 1 through verse 5. We're just going to read those five passages together. It says this, This is what Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. So Isaiah is announcing this sort of prophetic vision that he has of the last days. It says this, verse 2, In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as chief among the mountains. It will be raised up above the hills, and all nations will stream to it. There it is again. All nations When Jesus gives his final words to his disciples and he says, listen, what I have given you, this good news about God, this new reality of the kingdom that I've revealed to you, I want you to take this to all nations. Jesus very much has Isaiah chapter 2 in mind. Well, let's look a little further to see what it is that Isaiah saw coming in those last days. Verse 3, he says this, Isaiah says, many people will come and say, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the, to the house of the God of Jacob, and he will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Now, I want to pause there for a moment and ask you just to consider what this might look like. What might it look like for the God of the ancient Jews to suddenly become accessible and freely available to all the people of the world, whether they are Jewish or not. For any person, no matter how they were raised, no matter where they were born, no matter what blood runs through their veins ethnically, for them to have free access to the wisdom and the grace and the goodness of God. Well, Isaiah is going to tell us exactly what kind of impact that might have on the world. Look at verse 4 with me, and it says this, He will judge between the nations, and he will settle disputes for many people, and they will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. And nation will not take up sword against nation, and nor will they train for war anymore. Come, O house of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. Now, it would be easy, I think, to dismiss this passage as a vision of heaven But it's not a vision of heaven. For many people who are raised with this idea that everything that happens here on earth is going to be terrible until we die, and if we have punched our ticket to heaven by believing in Jesus and professing that with our mouths, then we're going to go to heaven and everything is going to be good and right and perfect. But that is not the gospel that Jesus preached, and it's not the message that Isaiah is casting in his vision. Rather, Jesus says, that the kingdom of God is here now. Think about the Lord's Prayer that we recite together every single time we gather. 
Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus's message about God and the gospel is deeply rooted in these kinds of prophecies, these kinds of visions and dreams that the goodness of God, the grace and the mercy and the peace of God is coming here now for us to enter into and to make a part of our lives. And not only that, but Isaiah says that it is coming for all nations, all people. Now, unfortunately, this great commission of Jesus's, this this charge to go out and to bring the wisdom and the grace and goodness and the peace of God to all nations, early in Christian history was married with political power. And when that happened, this great commission became less about bringing the goodness and the peace and the, the grace of God to all people and became more about conquering other people and making them just like those who were in power. And so, unfortunately, tragically, the story of Christian missions over the past 2,000 years is very often not a story of grace and peace. It's not a story of beating swords into plowshares and spears into pruning hooks. It is a story of taking up swords against people who aren't like us, people who have a different skin color, people who have different cultural practices, people who have different ways of viewing in the world and different ways of being in the world. And instead of laying down our swords and laying down our spears, those old Christian missionaries often took up their swords and took up their spears and conquered and colonized people who weren't like them. You know, in Oceanside, where our church is, The Oceanside Sanctuary is a very old church. It's been around since 1875. Many of you know that. And our building was built in 1928. We love our building. We're so grateful for it. It's such a gift to us. It allows us to serve the neighborhood and the community in really wonderful ways. But, you know, our building sits on land that used to be the ancient land of the Luiseno Indians. And in a very real way, our church is sitting on stolen land because missionaries came to this part of our land centuries ago and they took up their swords and they took up their spears and they conquered the native people who were here in this area and they conquered them for the gospel but instead of embracing them as a fellow brother or sister uh, a fellow uh, uh, image of God Instead, they they took them and tried to convert them into becoming more like the people who were in power. Uh, To this day, if you go a couple of blocks from our church, right up Division Street, you'll see an amazing building. It's right on uh, Division Street, right across the street from Oceanside High School. And that building is now a community center, but we still call it by its original name. It's the Americanization School. The Americanization School is exactly what it sounds like. It was originally built in the middle part of the 20th century to take Luiseño Indian children and Americanize them, turn them into people who would adopt the culture of the dominant people who were in power and leave their native culture behind. That is not the gospel. 
When Jesus tells us to go out into all the nations and bring the goodness of God to all ethnic groups, Christ is not telling us to conquer those people. He is not telling us to colonize those people. He's not even telling us to convert those people. He's telling us to immerse them in whatever goodness and wisdom and grace of God we have to offer. And very often, unfortunately, we've done the opposite. We haven't brought them the grace and the goodness of God. We've brought them our ways of doing and thinking and being and insisted that they adopt our way of looking at the world, our way of believing in God, and our way of being people of faith. I want to tell you that that is not, I believe, what Jesus had in mind by the Great Commission. Rather, I believe that what Jesus had in mind was that the goodness and the grace of God would now break out beyond ethnic boundaries, break out beyond family ties, and become a blessing to all people so that we can create more peaceful, more gracious, more loving, and stronger, more resilient communities that are deeply diverse and embrace people of all kinds. You know, last week in my teaching, I shared with you a little bit about a 2013 study that was conducted by researchers at Brigham Young University and the University of North Carolina. And I told you that when we're talking about relationships, one of the things we've discovered through that study that was published in 2013 that took a look at the health data of over 300,000 people, uh, what they found was that people who had good relationships in their lives were stronger, healthier, and happier, and lived longer. And that people who didn't have good relationships in their lives, people who were more isolated, ended up having a 50% increase in mortality. Now, what I sort of hinted at last week, but I wanna unpack for you a little bit more today, is that one of the findings of that study wasn't just that having relationships made us healthier and stronger and live longer. One of its specific findings is that people who had quote unquote, complex social relationships were actually healthier than people who had a smaller number of relationships in a close-knit family or a close-knit household. What that means is simply this, that our strength, our resilience, our spiritual depth, our physical health, our emotional happiness is directly correlated to having very diverse, and broad and, uh, and uh, various kinds of relationships in our lives. So diversity then, having a community that is rich with diversity, rich with different kinds of ideas, different kinds of perspectives, different kinds of beliefs even, creates a deeper, healthier, stronger, more resilient community of people who are able to weather storms that come their way. And I think that's exactly what Jesus is getting at in verse 19 of the Great Commission. I think it is God's plan and has always been God's plan that humanity would become united across their ethnic boundaries and their ethnic differences. In fact, Paul believed that too. That's why in Galatians chapter 3, verse 28, Paul reveals the depths or the extent to which this boundary crossing is, is achieved by the gospel of Christ. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 28, Paul says, those who are in Christ Jesus, those who are aligned with Christ Jesus, those who have received the grace and the mercy of Christ Jesus, for them there is no Jew or Greek, male or female, slave or free. 
for all are one in Christ Jesus. I don't think that means that when we are blessed with the grace and the mercy of God that's revealed in Christ, that we suddenly let go of our differences. I don't believe that it means that people who have a different culture than I do have to let go of their culture and become like me. Rather, I think it means that the gospel eradicates the boundaries between us so that we can share whatever blessing that God has given with each other. And therefore, become a deep and wide and rich and stronger community that's able to do something like beat our swords into plowshares and our spears into pruning hooks. And so it's not just about cultivating relationships, it's about cultivating diverse kinds of relationships. Now, uh, I'm keenly aware that most churches, including our church at the Oceanside Sanctuary, are not very diverse. And I think that's just one of the saddest realities of modern American Christianity, that Sunday mornings are the most segregated hour, as it has been said, in our nation. And so what I want to do is just challenge you as somebody who's a part of the Oceanside Sanctuary or somebody who is just getting acquainted with the Oceanside Sanctuary, I want to challenge us to become the kinds of people who are very intentional about crossing those boundaries and building diverse relationships in our lives. And I have just a couple of practical suggestions. This is not an exhaustive list by any means, but there are a few things that I think we can do that I've learned can be very helpful in developing more diverse perspectives and diverse relationships in our lives. Number one, the first thing that we can do, especially as people like me who are part of kind of the dominant culture, the first thing that we can do is begin to expose ourselves to the thoughts and ideas of people who aren't like us. So that means reading uh, people who are not like you, reading authors who have different perspective. If you're liberal, maybe that means reading conservative authors. If you're conservative, maybe it means reading liberal authors. If, if you're not sure what you are, maybe it means crossing all kinds of ideological boundaries and exposing yourself to the writings and the teachings and the perspectives of people of color, of people who are women, of people who are native, of people who don't think the same way that you do, maybe even people who aren't a part of the same religion that you are. The more that we expose ourselves to the ideas and the thoughts and the perspectives of people who are different from us, the more it grows us, expands our hearts, and makes us genuinely stronger as people. The second thing I think that we can do is we can be very intentional about building relationships with people who are not like us. And this can be extraordinarily difficult because especially if you're like me, you're a, you're a white middle-class male, then, then it can be really easy to start looking for people of color in your life uh, or people who belong to a marginalized group and include them out of a kind of insincere tokenism. I think that's a really easy trap to fall into, not to build relationships with people who aren't like me so that I can sort of check that box and say that I have friends who are a part of that group. Therefore, I'm not bigoted or I'm not biased. And so one of the best ways that I've found to genuinely try to begin to build those sorts of relationships is to actually have meals with people who aren't like me. Because Meals are just, you know, one of the best ways to create an environment of equality and hospitality because everybody has to eat. 
We see this in our own uh, religious practice around the table of communion. The table of communion or the Eucharist becomes a level playing field where those who are in power are brought made low because those who are in power have the same needs as those who are supposedly weak or poor. We all have a need for the grace and the mercy of Christ. And so oftentimes what I do is try to create spaces around food and around eating and around sharing that then level the playing field a bit and make it a little easier to broach those relationships. In our own church, one way, one way that we have done that is we have uh, oftentimes in the past connected with congregations of different faiths. So some of you might remember uh, in the past couple of years, we've had a couple of dinners, a couple of feasts that we shared with a local majid, an Islamic congregation in Vista. We came together around a couple of shared common meals. We hosted each other in our spaces. We opened up the, the platform for people from both faiths to share their perspectives. And that experience of sharing those meals with people who are so different than we are, people that we have a tendency to be afraid of, was an incredibly powerful way of building understanding and peace. Now, you don't have to do something like that. For you, it might just be about opening up the table in your home to invite people that you might not otherwise invite for dinner. Or on the other side of it, it might be about being willing to accept an invitation to the house of somebody that you, you might not normally find yourself hanging out with. So building those kinds of relationships, I think, has to be intentional and it has to be uh, thought about carefully so that we are approaching those relationships in a way that is sensitive to all of the pitfalls that could be involved. Now, the third thing, the third practical suggestion that I want to make, and this is especially for people who might look like me. So again, I am a white middle-class man. And the truth is, is that as a white middle-class man, most of this world that we live in in the United States was made for people like me. I'm accustomed to walking into spaces, especially as somebody who is a minister, somebody who is a leader of a congregation. I'm accustomed to walking into spaces and being able to share my ideas and speak up and speak boldly and speak loudly and have everybody in the room listen to me. So one of the things that I found, the third practice that I found very useful is that when I find myself in spaces where other people are present who are not like me, where there are maybe women or people of color, uh, people who are native, uh, people who are marginalized socioeconomically, is I have sometimes learned the value of, of just shutting up. Sometimes I think the very best thing that we can do to build relationships with people who aren't like us is learning to listen in situations where we might otherwise speak. Now, of course, that doesn't mean that I don't have good things to share. That doesn't mean that my ideas might not be worthwhile or that I don't have good gifts to offer in every situation. I, I think that I do. But what it does mean is that I intentionally allow people who are normally ignored, normally marginalized, and normally belittled, I try to create enough space so that they can be the people who have dominant expressions, dominant voices, and dominant ideas. And then, if I have something to share, then I try to share. 
Those are just three very simple practical tips. Maybe some of you have done some very intentional work around building diverse relationships in your lives. If you have your own tips or advice or practices to share, I would really love to see you do that in the comments on Facebook or YouTube. Anything that you have found to be helpful in this regard, I would love for you to just pop into the comments there and share what you have. But I hope this has been helpful. I hope this has been inspiring to you. Next week, we're going to revisit this passage and look a little bit more at what's happening there around the idea of baptizing people into the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, because I think that is often misunderstood as well. But today, I'd like to close with just a word of prayer and ask God to bless all of us in this effort to become uh, engaged in more diverse and rich relationships. Would you just join with me? Father, we thank you again for this opportunity for us to come together, even across a medium like Facebook or YouTube, to overcome the distance that exists between us. And I pray, God, that as we learn to be people who engage with each other across this distance, that we would also learn to become people who are able to engage across other kinds of distances as well, ethnic boundaries and gender boundaries, boundaries around creed, boundaries around sexuality, boundaries uh, around uh, class and generation. There are so many different ways, God, that we divide ourselves up from each other and deny ourselves the goodness and the grace and the strength that you have to give us by coming together as a diverse human family. I pray that you would give us all the ability to do that. And mostly, I pray that you would give us the heart to do that as well. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.